Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for uh, Leadership Night here at Summit Church. Uh, for those of you that are watching online or maybe you're listening to this podcast later, I just want to say thanks for joining us and being a part. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of time to just talk through some leadership principles, and then we will um, just talk about Chop it up and talk about how does this apply to our lives um, in the normal everyday. We'll do some Q&A. And so for those of you that are watching online, Michael, we can do, we're doing some Q&A online tonight as well, right? I don't even know who's going to ask questions. Linda's here. So Linda, you're not going to be asking questions online tonight. So you'll have to, you, do you have something locked and loaded for later? Or are you going to have an in-person question? Okay, good. Okay, good. That's perfect. Uh, so let me just start. We'll pray together and then we'll jump in to, um, to our topic for the evening. God, we thank you for this day and thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and grow as leaders and, and hopefully uh, add value to organizations in our community. So God, I pray you'd bless our time together tonight. I pray for those that have brought uh, difficult circumstances and situations into this place. I just pray peace. I pray wholeness for them. And I pray that in our time together tonight, you'd be glorified through our conversations and, and we would truly become better leaders because of what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I mentioned in the prayer just now um, about adding value, and I was thinking about this idea of adding value to organizations, and uh, what we're going to talk through this evening, I I feel like has value no matter where you're at in the org chart. Um, If you are in uh, a home, I think there's value here. If you just are in my family, I want to lead better, I want to do better. Uh, so, so I just want to talk a little bit about what does it look like for us to add value to the organization that we're involved in, whether it's a business, a formal company, an organization we serve in, maybe like Summit or a volunteer organization, um, maybe even your home. So let me, let me just open it up, and this is going to drive Michael crazy. We don't have to mic all, every answer. We're just going to do some shout-outs, okay, Michael? So don't stress. So I'm going to open this up to you guys. I want to hear some feedback. But if you give me feedback, I want you to do it loud enough that everybody in the room can hear. So why would we add value to our organization? Because the truth is that many people work for organizations that they see you as a cog in the wheel. And so there's very little motivation for the workers to add value to the organization. I'm getting a paycheck. That's all it is. So let me ask the question, why would we add value to an organization? Let me just give some feedback from you guys. What do you think? Yeah. Job security. security. That's a good one. What else? Yeah, Chucky. Internal, Internal, just the pride of doing a good job. Yeah. What else? Setting a good example is a good one. Yeah. Representing Christ. Yeah. For those of you that are believers, which a lot of you are part of our church. So that's part of it for us as well as we represent Christ well in our community. Who else? Any other th- thoughts? Any other reasons why we add value, why we would say it's good for us to add value to the organization? Advancement, that's pretty practical, right? Like, it goes back to Travis, job security, advancement. I don't know very many people that are, well, I take it back. I was about to say, I don't know very many people that are successful advancing in an organization without doing a good job. That's not true. Sometimes you marry the boss's daughter or you, you know, you, you've got a, your, your best friend is your boss or something like that. But uh, in good organizations, the people that are advancing are the people that are adding value. Any other thoughts on that? Why do we add value? Yeah. Yeah, making a difference in people's lives. You're improving the lives of the people around you. That's good. Yeah. We care. We care. It's, it's good to care, isn't it? But again, sometimes we don't. It's just a paycheck. It's just, okay, I'm just... I'm clocking in, I'm clocking out, and yeah. And, and here's the thing, I've, I've been employed at places where I felt like um, I am an interchangeable part, they, that's how they see me, they don't care if I show up or not, because if I don't, they'll just get somebody else to do my job. And, the, and some of you might be in situations like that, and I will tell you, that is really hard to get motivated to go, okay, I'm going to give my very best when you don't feel like you're treated with your very best. So this is a lesson to those of you that are in leadership, that you lead other people. It is really, really important. In fact, I would say it's, it is vital for us as leaders to let the people we're leading know that they're important and that they're valued. Uh, a conversation I have with our staff 
uh, gosh, a lot of times. I wouldn't say every day or every week even, but I have a, a conversation with our staff regularly is I will tell them, uh, you are more valuable to me than, and this organization than the role you fill. Um, Todd is more valuable than the small group leaders, you know, than, than his leadership with small groups or discipleship. Um, Gil is more important to me than just the value he brings as the youth pastor of our church or Ricky as the campus pastor, whatever it is, because there's more value there than that. It's not just about you do for me and I'll do for you and this is transactional. And it's really important and it's easy in a church to do that. It's harder in some organizations. But if you're leading well, it's really important for the people you're leading to understand you're more important to us than just being a cog on the wheel. You're more important to me. You are cared for, you're valued, and that goes a long way. So let me back up and just, let's talk about for a few minutes, what would it look like for us to add value? And these are gonna be broad enough that it's not industry specific or anything like that. And we're just gonna talk through this. And then I would love to talk about what that looks like for us, uh, practically speaking. So let me, if you're a note taker and you wanna take notes, number one, the first thing I would say, if you wanna add value to your organization is do your job really, really well. Do your job really well. And this is hard again, when we don't feel like we're compensated well or cared for well or looked out for well to give our very best. But I would say, if you wanna add value to your organization, do your job really, really well. I think this is the prerequisite for value addition. There are people that wanna add value to an organization, but they refuse to do what they were hired well. Does that make sense? So I've known people, especially in church settings, I've talked to people that have said things like, well, I do this, but I really wanna be doing that. Well, I'm in this role, but my real goal is to do that. And what I tell them all the time is, if you wanna be doing that, you better kill this. If you have, if you have visions of doing something else, you better excel at what you were hired to do. And, and I want you to understand, no matter what your role is in your organization, in this organization, whatever it might be, if you want to, if you want, if you have aspirations for another role, another position, another whatever it might be, especially within that organization, you should kill the job you are in. Do it so well that they have no choice but to promote you to something else or move you into a different role. So what does that look like? Well, exceed expectations. Um, Whatever the minimum standard is, exceed that. Um, and again, it's so easy for us to go, well, what do I have to do here? Okay, that is exactly what I'm gonna do because it's transactional for us. I'm gonna do this because you're doing that. Um, but what does it look like when we exceed expectations? And I think this is something we might circle back to when we do some Q&A. Um, meet deadlines. It's amazing how many people in the world we live in just don't meet deadlines. They tell you they're gonna do something and then they just don't do it. Um, oh, hey, I'll have that to you by, and then it's crickets. There's no have it to you by, and you can't add value if you can't even meet deadlines. Show up early. Um, this is a lost art form, uh, showing up early. A lot of people will show up right at, well, I was here on time, but you weren't ready to do your job on time. You just physically were in the building at the, the second the clock struck nine, you were in the building, right? Like that doesn't count. Are you ready to do your job when the time starts? So show up early, show up early enough that you can be prepared and not just prepared to get started, but be prepared to, prepared to do a good job. Here's another one that I think is huge to doing your job really, really well. Uh, communicate clearly. And we've talked about communication and leadership night before. We all think we communicate better than we actually do. So Clear communication often means over-communication. I need to communicate more than I think I actually need to communicate. Um, and, and that is, none of us do that very well. Uh, we all think, oh, they got it. I don't need to send another email. I don't need to make a phone call. I don't need to communicate that via, they didn't get it necessarily. So we need to make sure we communicate clearly. And again, a lot of times that means over-communication. Here's something that I think people miss out on too. If you want to do a really, really good job, ask for feedback. And this is dangerous and this is terrifying. And we don't want to ask for feedback because the feedback might not be what we want it to be. We might say, hey, how do you think I'm doing? What could I do to improve? And our boss goes, you could do this and this and this and this and this and this. And they've got a list of eight things. And you're like, ah, I shouldn't have asked. Um, 
There was a, a gentleman who was a coach for me for a few years. He's got a leadership podcast called, um, well, he's, his name is Dr. Gerald Brooks. And I love Dr. Brooks. He's a friend and, a, and I'm grateful for his time that he spent with me in my life. But he would come to Summit and he would preach for us. And, and he was a formal coach for me for three years. And he would come and preach. And, and this guy is direct. And he is not soft and cuddly at all. Um, and so we went to lunch and it was Kim and myself and his son and Dr. Brooks. And we're sitting there and I look him in the eye and I say, Dr. Brooks, as you were with us this weekend, what did you see that we can, that I should be doing better? And his son, Cody, his mouth opened. He went, he said, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, I'm sure. Cause to me, it's like, what's the point of having a coach if I'm not willing to hear what the coach has to say? So I said, I'm sure, and I'm not exaggerating. He rattled off like six things immediately. Like he had them locked and loaded. Like he didn't have to think about it. You know, let me think about it. I'm not really sure. I mean, he immediately jumped in. Uh, I saw your security team. You shouldn't have security team here. You should have them there. I, I, I saw how you did this. You shouldn't be doing it this way. You should be doing it that way. And he, it didn't even take a breath. He spit them all out. And it was like I'd gotten punched in the gut. Oh, okay, all right. And I processed it with some of our staff. And I told Kim, I said, a couple of those things I can disregard. Like he doesn't understand our context. So I get his point of view, but it doesn't make sense for us. But man, like four of those things, we need to make those changes right now. And we did, and we were better for it. But I would have never heard that because he was our guest and he wasn't gonna impose his view on me without an invitation. But we were better because I asked for feedback. But man, it's painful and it is terrifying because you don't know what they're gonna say. But if you wanna do your job really well, if you wanna add value to the organization, you're gonna ask for feedback. The last thing under this section, doing your job really well, is to, um, oh, I already said this, uh, excel at what you were hired to do. Um, I said that already, but do good at your job that you were hired to do. Whatever your job description says you should be doing, that's what you should be excelling at. If there's other things outside of that that you, you wanna do, check with your supervisor, because maybe they'll be cool with you doing that. But if you're really good at this stuff, but you're not good at this stuff, that's not gonna be good for you overall. So the first thing is do your job really, really well. Prerequisite. The second thing is this, take initiative. I love initiative with employees, with staff, um, in our church with volunteers. I love people who don't ask um, what they need, what do you need me to do? I love people who go, hey, I see something needs to be done and I'm gonna take care of that. Uh, that makes me so happy when people will say, Hey, I saw a need and I took care of that. Uh, hey, I saw something needed to be done. And even though I don't, that's not part of my job, I, I, I wanna do that. Uh, and to me, and I, we've talked about this a little in the past, to me, that's the difference between an employee mentality and an owner mentality. Um, owners look at organizations differently than employees do. Owners take ownership for it. They know this is reflective on me and, and I want this to go, go well. I wanna be profitable. I wanna win, whatever it is. And so a good owner will do things that is outside of their purview. And a good owner is gonna find themselves picking up trash in the parking lot sometimes, not because that's what their job description says they should do, because there's a need and they're gonna take initiative. They're not gonna send an email saying, hey, somebody needs to pick up some trash in the parking lot. If they're there and there's trash, they're gonna take initiative. A lot of times employees don't do that because they will see trash in a parking lot and go, well, that's not my job. We got somebody for that and they will get in their car and drive away. Uh, and the difference between those two things is initiative. Do, what kind of initiative do I have? Am I gonna see a problem, take care of a problem, or am I gonna take comfort in the warm blanket of that's not my job? And one of my, the most frustrating things I ever hear an employee say, and we haven't had that at Summit. I, don't, I honestly don't remember one single time I've had that at Summit Church, but I know at my last church, I had several conversations where I had to hear people say, well, that's not my job. I'm like, oh, like, okay. Some of you are old enough to remember. Do you remember the old Hulk? You know, and he would say, like, oh, and his eyes would turn green and don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. I'd have that kind of moment when I would hear, it's not my job. Um, but if we're going to take initiative, it means that we do what is needed without being asked. I don't have to be told to go do it. I, I see a need. I'm going to take care of it. The third thing is this identify, identify and solve problems. Now, here's the thing. 
Uh, if you lead an organization, if you have a team, if you've got a department, whatever it is, if you, if you are a parent in a home, you understand this. Anyone can identify problems. Anybody. I'm not kidding when I say anybody. I mean anybody. Um, if you've got somebody who is blind on your team, they can still hear problems. They don't have to have eyes to see it. Anybody can identify problems. It is possible. Now, I don't want people who can identify problems. I need people who can solve problems. Probably if you were hired, um, if you're an employee at an organization, uh, you probably were hired because you can solve problems to some degree or another. We need you to solve these problems so that the person above you on the flowchart doesn't have to solve those problems. And so what happens is when we bring them problems without solutions, we're asking them to do our jobs for us. Hey, I've got this problem. Now, again, occasionally there's things that is just beyond our control that we don't know, we have no idea, but that should be rare. We should be able to solve problems, figure out solutions, and then take them to the people and go, hey, I wanna let you know, we had this situation. Um, hey, we had this problem with the, uh, with the production line, um, and here's what the solution was. I already took care of it, but I just wanna let you know, this is what happened. You don't need to worry about it. I just wanted to inform you. Hey, we had this problem. And Michael, Michael's in the back. Michael understands this. He's our production director. Does a good job here at Summit Church. And and Michael knows if we have an issue with production at some point in the service, um, he's gonna tell me as soon as the service is done. Hey, I just wanted to let you know, we had this issue. Uh, This is how we resolved it, but I just wanted to give you the heads up. Thanks very much, Michael. I appreciate you doing that. And that way, and he also knows this, because if I hear later, because my mom watches every service, and she's gonna say, oh, I noticed the volume dropped in the 11 o'clock service. And it's like, oh, it did? And Michael doesn't wanna get a phone call from me going, hey, my mom said, cause he, he might hate my mom after all this, but um, he knows I'm gonna communicate to Mel directly. I'm gonna let him know. And so this is really important that we don't just identify problems. Um, we identify solutions. Hey, here's an issue, but I already took care of it. Um, and so this is really important for us to anticipate the problems and present solutions. So we don't just respond to problems, but we anticipate. We look at what's going on and go, you know what, this might end up being an issue. And if it's an issue, what do we need to do about it? This is another level of identifying and solving problems is actually anticipating the problems. Number four, this is huge. Have a good attitude. (laughs) It's amazing how many problems can be solved by us simply having a good attitude. Um, I... uh, a few years ago, well, no, let me think. It was this last February. This last February, um, I go to a retreat with other pastors and, um, and my spiritual father, Jim Hennessy, he kind of hosts this. And so pastors come from all over the place and their church heavily offsets the cost. So what they do is they want to treat us well. So we go to some, a nice hotel. For years, we've gone to this really nice hotel and they wanted to change it up. So we went to a different hotel this year High end, it was a place I would, Kim and I would never be able to stay on our own because we can't afford it. But they offset the cost, so we go. It's high end hotel. So we walk in and we get there late because we've had flight delays. That's like the story of flying. If anybody's flying, you understand delays, delays, delays. So our flights were delayed from where we were at getting into Dallas, and we didn't get into Dallas. I think we landed at DFW. Like 12.30 at night, we were supposed to be there at like eight. So our flight's delayed. We land at 12.30, we've got a rental car, but the rental place closes at one. So my wife dashes to go get the rental car. Our luggage got there ahead of us because of the delay. It made it on the plane, but we didn't make it on the plane. So our luggage was there. The problem is the luggage was locked up and I had to find somebody at 1 a.m. in DFW airport to unlock our luggage for us. So by the time we finally got to the hotel, this high-end hotel, it was almost three in the morning. And I don't know if you know this, uh, high-end hotels aren't putting their best people on the graveyard shift. Did you know that? <laughs> They're not reserving their top talent for the, the people that stroll in there at 3 a.m. So we got there and I waited and I waited and I started looking around. You know, I was doing the awkward dad thing. The guy, dads just start walking around. And I finally, hello, hello. And a lady comes out and I was clear that we had interrupted her nap and she was not happy about it. And can I help you? And, and I won't give you the whole experience. It was not a good experience. And I try to give the benefit of the doubt. I try to extend grace, but she was, she was rude. And at that point, 
it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter what happened the rest of the trip. This one experience told me this hotel is not someplace I wanna stay. Why? Because she had a bad attitude. That was it. She had a bad attitude. And from there on, I thought, we need to go back to the other hotel. Um, in fact, <laughs> I'm grateful Jim asked me my opinion. And I said, well, here's my experience. And I wasn't gonna fill out a complaint. And he said, well, let me talk to the manager. And he threatened to the manager that we were gonna go back over what I said. And the manager said, hey, we'll take care of it. We've had problems with her, with her before. It'll never be a problem again. Now, that wasn't my goal to get this young lady fired, but it just proves a point that a good attitude will help drive profits or reduce profits. A good attitude, the right attitude, will help create a good customer experience. Um, think about the difference between uh, Walmart and Target. Okay, I know neither one of those are super popular in our culture right now for different reasons. But one of the things I like about Target that Walmart doesn't do is if you ask somebody at Walmart, and this used to be how it was, it might be different now, you'd say, hey, I'm looking for razor blades. They'd go, oh, it's on aisle seven. Great, thank you very much. And you'd go find your razor blades. If you go to Target and you go, hey, I'm looking for razor blades. They'd go, oh, it's over on aisle 14, let me show you. And they would walk with you to aisle 14. They would get you through the razor blades and go, here they are, do you have anything else? Is there anything else I can help you with? It's that simple. It was the difference between good service and bad service. Um, and an attitude makes all the difference between good service and bad service. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're in a, you're in a service industry. If you work with human beings, uh, it's, it's important for us to have good attitudes. So it creates a better environment and culture for your team, the people you're working with. It reduces customer complaints. It increases the, the positivity, because let's be honest, positivity is infectious. Uh, have you ever had a bad day and you met somebody, you talked to somebody and they were just, man, they had a great attitude. They just had an infectious smile and you just felt better walking away from them. Now, a lot of times they're selling ice cream and that's why you feel better when you walk away. But let's be honest, don't we feel better when we're around somebody that you have a great attitude? I'm a sucker for um, when I go to a restaurant and um, it reminds me of my childhood when like the waitress will call me sweetie. Oh, here you go, sweetie. And it's different. I'm at the age now where if it's like a 20 year old, it just feels weird. Cause I'm like, I've got daughters your age, but like, you know, a nice older woman who calls me sweetie, it just makes me feel good. Like I'm a little boy again. And it just something about that good attitude and that good engagement. And so I just want to encourage you in this. If you want to do a good job, if you want to kill your job and do really, really well, have a good attitude. Just decide. No matter what happens, I'm going to decide to have a good attitude today. Um, number five, <laughs> decrease spending. So if you can limit expenses, you're going to be better at your job. You're going to make your bosses happier. Uh, if you can limit the expenses. And this isn't just, um, okay, think about it this way. If you've got somebody who's an office manager, their job is to run an office, order supplies, do those kind of things. The, the bare minimum is do this, order the supplies, make sure we have these things stocked for the people that work in this office. Great, no problem. But what if that person says, hey, I've been negotiating with this supplier and we can actually get these supplies at a 30% discount. Hey, I've been talking to this supplier and if we buy in bulk for all of our locations, we can actually get it for this amount. So now I'm limiting our expenses. Don't you think that's a value add for the organization? Sure it is, absolutely. So this is a big way that no matter who you are, no matter what your role is in an organization, you can add value. And it's by simply looking for places that you can go, oh, hey, we can do this a little more efficiently and we can save a few dollars here. And I promise, even if it's a small savings, your boss uh, or maybe your boss's boss or your, the owner of the company is going to love it. They're gonna say, thank you so much because that's an owner's mentality, not an employee's mentality. The second thing you can do is drive profit. Now, some of you work in sales organizations and in sales organizations, especially, it is skewed toward the salespeople. They are the heroes of the organization because they're driving profits and everybody else is kind of limited. Well, well, you're just an admin, but this person's a salesman. And somehow this is important, but this isn't. But at the end of the day, driving profits is a huge part of adding value to an organization. Um, I've been in sales industries. I did not love it because I was not a great salesperson. I was, not, um, I was not a typical salesperson at all, but I've been in those environments. And I understand at the end of the day, the thing they really care about, especially with salespeople, is what's the big number you're putting on the board? Uh, how many sales did you have today? Are you hitting your goals? Those kind of things. And if you want to do a good job, if you want to add value to your organization, 
drive profits. And again, maybe you're not in sales. There's still ways you can drive profits. And some of that goes back to what we've talked about. You can drive profits by giving customers really great experiences, uh, being kind and generous and warm toward them. And that's going to give them an affinity for the organization or for the brand or whatever it might be. And so it's important for us to understand that even if you're not in a sales role, you can still help drive profits. All right, seven, this is the last one. Number seven. And this is profound. This is, I mean, this one is deep. This one, this is worth the price of admission, okay? You paid zero to get in, so I'm just saying. Uh, this is it, get better. Just get better. It's shocking how many people don't wanna get better at their job. Um, again, it's transactional. It's punching a time clock every day. I don't really care that much. Um, but get better. So how do we get better? Well, the first thing is you, you become a learner. If you're not a learner, become a learner and figure out what do I need to do to get better at my job? Um, and there's two primary ways we do that. The first is skills. So I, 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 in order to improve at my job, I need better skills than what I'm currently operating with. And so what can I do? And some of your organizations probably have um, educational programs where maybe they'll offset some of the cost of your ongoing education, uh, but we don't take advantage of that. If you didn't take advantage of a 401k matching, people would holler at you for being stupid, for throwing away free money. But when we throw away educational, expense, uh, educational opportunities, we dismiss it and go, well, no big deal. I don't have the time for that. But you're throwing away free opportunities to get better, to learn. Um, and so don't throw those opportunities away. Some of the bigger organizations have mentoring programs and maybe your organization might and, and we overlook those as well because we all don't have time. But any opportunity your organization is giving you to grow, to learn, to develop, and especially if they're helping offset the cost for that or maybe it's free within the organization, take advantage of it. Get better, learn skills, figure out how to do better. Um, I love our team because some of our admin team, <clears throat> they understand, um, hey, I'm not very good at this. I need to take a class. I need to enroll in a local uh, junior college, or I need to do something because I want to learn how to do this. Great. And we're happy to help them do that. Um, I, even Pastor Todd right now is working on his master's degree and we're helping him do that. We're offsetting some of the cost, but he's taking advantage of it. He's going, I want to get better and they're willing to help me pay for it. So why wouldn't I do it? So take advantage of that. Learn skills that will help you be better at your job. The other part of that is, um, so there was technical skills. How do I work better? But then <laughs> interpersonal skills. Because some of you, you've got a ton of knowledge how to kill your job really well, but your interpersonal skills stink because you're hard-headed or you don't work well with people, whatever it might be. And you just go, well, I can't advance here. No, you could if you would learn better interpersonal skills. If I would learn how to get along with people better, if I wouldn't be such a jerk when somebody is late on a deadline or somebody, I get blown up on, does anybody else like group texts? I do not like group texts. I hate group texts. I will ignore them immediately. I don't care what it is. I'm immediately muting my group text uh, notification. And so maybe you're getting blown up on a group text or a group email. You've been CC'd on some email and it's reply, 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 reply. And now you got 87 emails about one conversation and you just want to kill somebody. And this is where that interpersonal skill comes important where you go, hey, I'm not going to blow up on them and say, take me off this email, right? I'm, I'm going to learn the right skills to interact with them the right way. And that's a skill you can learn as well. Those are things we need to learn to get better at our job because it's not just about performing well, it's about engaging well with the people around us. So get better. I knew that would be really inspiring, get better. Um, so those are the things as I was thinking through, how do we add value to our organization? Again, they're not industry specific at all, but I would be happy for us to talk through at this point. Hey, what does this look like in your context? What do you have to add that I didn't say? Um, anything you'd wanna push back on that I said that you, I disagree with that? I'd love for us to talk about that and dialogue about that now. If you're watching online and you wanna interject, if you have a question to ask, uh, let us know and we will get to that as quickly as we can. So questions, feedback, comment. Um, as far as, I always think that whether you're in leadership or not in, you know, maybe you're not a leader, if you, you know, show that no job or no responsibility is, you know, above 
or below yeah, you. Yeah. Um, you take on something that somebody else perhaps would think would be an unfavorable thing. People start to look at it like, well, look at him. He's, you know, he, he doesn't care. He, mm-hmm. He'll do whatever. Um, you know, that's, to me, a way to inspire more positivity with, you know, your coworkers and your staff. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is, it is uh, painful when I see organizations where the leader um, is too good to do things because they didn't get there by being too good to do things, but yet somehow they've established, they've gotten to some plane of reality where now, well, I don't have to help with, I don't have to do, I don't have to. And again, that's, that's an entitlement mentality. I've earned this. And um, you might be able to do that and get away with that, but you're not building a healthy culture that way. And you're not inspiring others. You're not adding value. Um, so yeah, that's good, good feedback, Trev. What else? Oh, look at you guys. Look at that value add by Ricky Ingram saying, I'll take this mic. Michael, get a different mic. Well done, Ricky. Give a shout out. What else? Questions, feedback. How do you know when to give up on something? How do you tell when a particular project isn't a good idea and you should just be better served doing something different? Can you give me more specific context than that? Just in general? So, yeah. So, for instance, if I get a job at a place and I'm, I am a value add, or at least I think I am, um, and then say your, your management culture is toxic or, uh-huh. or, or despite your best efforts, things aren't improving, um, how, how do you tell when to just switch to a different thing? Yeah, or, when you your losses. Yeah, because I think there's something to be said about perseverance, but yeah. persevering in the wrong direction is probably not a good idea. So there's, to me, there's like a church answer and then there'd be like a world answer. I think the church answer is we should be praying about everything. We should pray about hey, God, did you bring me here? And if you brought me here, do you still have me here? Um, Because just because something is, just because an environment is not healthy doesn't mean that God didn't bring us there and doesn't mean that God doesn't have us there for a reason. Um, The the secular answer would be um, uh, add your value, do the best you can, learn what you can, do what you can. And then the first second you have to hit the eject button, you move on to something bigger and better and brighter. And there's some, probably some overlap there in between as well that you can be praying, God, did you bring me here? Did I make a mistake? And if you did bring me here, you know, can you take me to, teach me what I need to learn so I can get to whatever is next as quickly as possible? So, yeah. John, did you have your hand up? Yeah. You, you talked a couple times about uh, employee mentality versus owner mentality. <laughs> yeah. How do you get employees to have owner mentality? I think it's really hard. I think it's, I mean, we've talked a lot about culture in, in over the last couple of years, but I think it starts at the top. I think it starts from the top, setting the right culture from the top down. Um, you know, I think part of it goes back to helping them understand you're not just a cog in the wheel. You are valuable. You're not just doing this job for us um, that, hey, we don't want to replace you. Could we replace you? Maybe, but we don't want to. We love you. We appreciate, you know, those kind of things. So I think that's part of it because uh, if somebody feels appreciated, they want to give more. If somebody feels like they're being compensated well and not even monetarily, but if they feel like they're being taken care of, they're going to give better effort and they're going to start to give, they're going to start to give owner efforts even though they're getting paid like an employee when they feel valued and important. So I think that's a huge part of that. But that's, again, that's part of that culture. And culture takes a long time to, to shift. I know you've been, you've had your company a long time. If, if you had bought that from somebody else and maybe you bought it and they had a bad culture, I would tell you it's gonna get better, but it's gonna take a while to change the culture. You're gonna have to work really hard to change the culture. But that's, that's what I would say to do is make sure the culture's healthy, make sure you, the employees don't feel like employees, and uh, that, that'd be where I would start. Anybody else have feedback on that or thoughts contribute to that? Yeah. Well, I think uh, when you see ownership behavior, you celebrate it, you reward it. Uh, and don't just celebrate it like on an individual level. Celebrate it 
at an organizational level uh, because the things that you celebrate uh, are the things that that people will begin to look for. And so I think the more that you're able to do that, celebrate and reward those things, then that's what creates a culture and kind of begins to turn, turn that kind of ship around. Yeah. I used to tell my girls when they were little, um, good choices get rewarded, bad choices get punished. And the good, like you were saying, I think rewarding those good choices and going, man, I saw, hey, I saw you stayed late and you didn't have to, to help us get this resolved. Hey, I saw you pick up the slack when this person was out. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Todd. That's a good word. Any other thoughts on that question? How to help employees feel like owners or have that mentality? I think something that's been working for us is, um, giving people ownership. So mm -hmm. we've been, we're calling Gimba, which is a continuous improvement activity, but it's when you empower the employee and say, your solution, your ideas, we're gonna break down barriers and we're gonna help you empower that. It's amazing to see when people don't fall in line that they take the ownership and they correct it versus going, you guys need to fix this. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that's really good. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I think empowering them is a huge part of it. Um, ask, well, and even from a leadership perspective, not just asking for feedback from your supervisors, but asking for feedback from the people you're leading and going, hey, what do you guys think about this? Uh, and then not just saying, put it, in the, put it in the suggestion box and then you burn the suggestion box. You don't even look at it, but like actually giving voice to those people and saying, hey, this is a great idea. Let's do that. I think that, yeah, that's, that's got a lot of value to it. It's good. Speaking to that topic as well, <clears throat> I think you not only empower, but you have to make, um, in order to, to make that mind um, set shift, you have to make the employee see the purpose, the, yeah. the general purpose of the company. Because sometimes you've had bosses or whatever that have a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things going on, and you don't really see the end goal. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to make everybody see the end goal, where you're going, that, that empowers them. Sure. Yeah, and that goes back to something we talk a lot about is vision. Yeah, understanding, uh, if you can't, if you don't understand and can't uh, adequately articulate the vision to the people you're leading, none of them will be able to do it. And if they don't understand the vision, they're never going to have an employee, I mean, a, a, an owner mentality, or no owner work ethic, so that's good. We can stay on that or we can go to other questions. Yeah, Michael. John online said that I think if we move our mindset off working and more towards serving that we see a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of truth there. Thanks, John online. Um, and again, that's the world doesn't understand that. The world is transactional. I'm giving you something and I deserve something. When, we under, when we're there, not just to earn a paycheck, which we have to make a living, but when we understand, hey, I'm here to serve my coworkers, I'm here to serve the people I come into contact with, we bring our biblical mindset into that, it does make a difference, for sure. It's good. What else? Questions? So you mentioned um, the importance of having a good attitude and a positive attitude. I'm interested, what are some strategies that you use to keep a positive attitude when you're going through hard things. So for instance, on the weekend, you have to interact with a lot of people. How do you keep those interactions positive and aim toward uh, advancing the kingdom, advancing the mission, even when you're not feeling like having those interactions? I never have those moments. I love every person <laughs> really, really excellently. Uh, <laughs> um, Let's open it up to you guys. I want to hear what some of you guys have to say. I've got some thoughts on that, but yeah, how do you maintain a good attitude in the face of difficult circumstances? Yep. It's easier said than done, but I usually say, you know, whatever's happening with me or it's not the fault of the person that I'm interacting with. Mm -hmm. So don't take it out on, yeah. <laughs> you know, other people. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I don't, not saying directed at the person, but that you're, you know, that is either caused or maybe it's a, a situation that you don't have any control of, but either way, the person you're, you're interacting with really didn't have anything to do with, you know, what your situation is. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, put a positive face forward. Yeah. That's good. One right back there, Ricky. 
I'd say one of the other things that you can do with that is is just take a beat sometimes because a lot of the problems that I I encounter at least are miscommunications. Mm-hmm. Whether I didn't understand an email, a Teams message, whatever, they didn't understand it, it just causes a problem there and everybody thinks they're mad in the moment. Whereas instead if you say, okay, hey, let's let's just have a meeting about it, let's talk face-to-face or at least over video camera or whatever, but like a day or two later, mm-hmm. not one hour from now, not this afternoon when this happened Three in the morning. Three o'clock at the, at the yeah. tennis courts. Right, exactly. Meet me there. Because yeah. then you're still heated, you're still feeling it, so yeah. you sometimes need that beat for everybody, and then oh. you come back to it and you're like, why was this even a problem? We have a solution, we have a clear path, let's yeah. just move forward together. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I like to like remove myself from the situation mm-hmm. and like, okay, it's my emotions. Well, that's easy. And then just tell myself not to be a baby and put it on people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I definitely like just remove myself and tell God to give me like self-control. And yeah. It goes away. Yeah, that's good. Was there one over here? Gabe Grant. Oh, uh, this one's kind of simple, but wake up early. I know if I have to work at eight o'clock and I roll out of bed at 7.30, and I'm in a rush to get there and I show up to work, that my day's going to be a lot worse than if I get up at 6.30, spend a little time for myself, get a good breakfast, then yep. get in there a little bit early, and you're prepared for the day. You know what? I actually, um, I think it was, I don't, remember if, I don't remember now if it was Inc. or Forbes. I'd read an article a couple years ago that said one of the common traits among um, many uh, Fortune 500 CEOs was that they had slow mornings. And it didn't mean they didn't schedule much in the morning before noon. What it meant is they gave themselves time to have a slower pace before their day had to start, which I thought was really interesting that they didn't go, well, okay, I've got to be there at eight. If I just, I can sleep till 7.14 and I can, you know, because then there's that pressure and the stress and all that kind of stuff. So I think starting your day right is a, a good part of that. Um, so, there's a, a, a quote to go back to the question about how to navigate some of that. Um, I think some of that has to do with, I think guys can, can compartmentalize, generally speaking, better, easier than women can. Uh, and so I, that's one of my spiritual gifts is compartmentalization, I think. Um, and so I have a really short memory. So I can have a I've got friends that they don't want to be in the lobby before, uh, before they preach because if they have a bad conversation, it's going to wipe them out. And I've got such a short memory that I can have a difficult conversation with somebody and like it's, it's gone. It's the goldfish thing from Ted Lasso, right? So uh, I think that's really important for you to have a short memory and, and do a little bit of what Travis said too. Is, okay, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm just going to go, let's go, let's move and, you know, and not worry about it. Um, and I, I, that's not very concrete. I wish that was better, but I think that's, that's a way that it helps me have a good attitude in spite of some of the things that uh, people load onto me at times. So, What else? Questions? Um, this is going to go back to you had talked about your, your story about um, asking for um, you know, critiques. Yeah, yeah, feedback. Okay, how, how how do you do that with people who don't take and you just who know are liars? it? Who, who aren't going to be honest with you? Well, the, no, no, no. Even oh. from the standpoint of like giving somebody criticism or critique, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, they always, I'm, I, you automatically feel like it's criticism. Mm-hmm. So how do you get with you know you give that to somebody and you know they're going to take it terribly and it's just. I don't know how to, how would, how do you get around that? Where is there a delicate way to give it? Uh, I think it depends on the person. And um, some people, they can, like, yeah, they I mean, can take it directly, you know, punch right in the face and they're good. They're like, I needed that. Thank you. And then there's some people, doesn't matter how much sugar you coat on it. It doesn't matter how, you know, you stick it in a cake and, you know, it doesn't matter how sweet you make it. They're still going to, be wiped out by it and be like, I can't believe you even said that. Who do you think you are? Right. So I think it, some of it has to do with us having permission to say certain things because there are people that would say you have permission, but you really don't. Right. Um, and no matter where you're at in the org chart, you might supervise somebody and technically you have the right to say this, but that doesn't mean that they actually will invite you to say it. 
Um, but I think, I think, again, we can model this as leaders from the top down and go, hey, I've got people that can speak into me and tell me I'm a doofus sometimes. And it's important for us. So you make it a cultural value that, hey, we wanna improve. Excellence is a, is a cultural value for us. So if we're gonna be excellent, we've gotta improve. Some of that too comes back to, do you treat the people you're supervising like they're employees that, you know, I, get better? Because if you get better, then my boss is going to like me more. Or is it, man, I see value and potential in you and you are leaving something on the table when you don't. And so I want to help you maximize your, your talent, right. your ability, your, you know, whatever it might be. You just worry about, you know, like people being combative yeah, after, you know, sure. and that's the, like, that's the hardest uh, thing, even if it's not even meant to be, you know, mm-hmm. any negative is an attack, yeah. you know, that, or anything that is, you know, a suggestion for perhaps to, to make something better. It's like, okay, that's an attack. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, and I think uh, something we do, if I have a hard conversation, um, you know, whether it's corrective or just, Hey, I see this. If you just do this, I think it would really help. A lot of times I will I will come back a day or two later and say, hey, I just want to check on you. I know we had this conversation. Do you have any any thoughts? Because in the moment, maybe you didn't feel like you could say, but do you have any thoughts or feedback you want to give me? Because again, you're opening up the dialogue for them to be able to go, you know what, it really hurt my feelings when you said that. And I do this and this and this and this, so I don't know why you would think I don't, you know. Right. And then you go, oh, hey, I appreciate that. And But now that at least the dialogue is opened, okay. so it's not just they hate your guts and you're not going to know about it till their exit interview when they go, he was terrible. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I think it's also helpful to separate the behavior from the person mm-hmm. for sure, and to intentionally do that as a supervisor, mm-hmm. the leader ahead of time to really think that through mm-hmm. and to remember that, you were once in their situation and you've made a lot of those same kinds of mistakes and you were once immature and to just go through that mentally Mm -hmm. and then to approach it from a behavioral kind of perspective, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I I think that's huge in saying, hey, (laughs) hey, we didn't do that the way we wanted to Maybe that failed, but you're not a failure. I still see this in you. I still believe this for you. Yeah, that's a big deal. So that's good. Thanks, Linda. How about the um, the leader trying to lead the person who is uh, never at fault? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, that's That one's really hard. Um, the, so <laughs> I don't even know if I should go here. The person who's never at fault is usually also the victim. So if they're never at fault, it's somebody else's fault. And this is, they did this to me. I was a victim of this. And so, man, when somebody lives in that perpetual victim identity, it's really hard to work with them. It's hard to work around them. And I think I would do my best to coach them and help them. And if they are unwilling to move or unable to move or change, then that's where I would look real hard at saying, hey, we need to, yeah, we need to separate and we wish the best of luck and this isn't just a good. This just isn't a good fit for you, uh, and it's hard. And so the best, and I've, I mean, we've talked about this in the past too. The best way to fire somebody is to never hire them in the first place. And so to have great screening processes up front that you can help will help you identify some of those people. Because uh, I've made I've made the mistake in the past of in my enthusiasm and arrogance thinking, oh, I know, I'm smart, and I'll hire somebody. And then later, I'm like, oh my gosh. Why did I do this to myself? And then I spend six months trying to figure out how I can make them better. I spend another year trying to figure out if I should let them go or how I should let them go. And then it's just, it's painful. And so the best way to avoid firing somebody is to not hire them up front. So that doesn't help you when you're neck deep in it though in the moment when you're stuck with them. But no, it was my business partner. Oh. And we ended up saying goodbye. Okay. You can blame him. See, it wasn't your fault. You were the victim. You should, no, I'm just kidding. That's cool. Yeah, it's hard though when you're stuck with somebody like that. From the leader perspective, um, how do you, you deal with the situation where you invited feedback and then the feedback you get is kind of lousy? Yeah. And I feel like my experience is the opposite of yours. I'll ask for feedback and they'll give me eight ideas and one of them was good. Yeah. Um, do you, you tell them they have bad ideas? Like, how do you <laughs> deal with that? Thank you for your feedback. I want to give you some feedback now. Your ideas stink. 
Um, no, I think, uh, I think Todd talked earlier about rewarding um, the success or, or uh, well, uh, basically uh, recognizing the, the right kind of behavior. And I think that's probably what I do is instead of saying, your eight ideas were terrible, I would stick with, man, man, thank you all for your feedback. This one, what you had to say really helped. And here's why it's going to help. So I really appreciate that. I would probably do that instead. But I, I still wouldn't let that keep me from asking for feedback because at least you're getting one thing that's helping you go, oh, okay, hey, we can, we can turn the dial a little bit or we can adjust the culture a little bit or we can maximize profits or whatever it is. You know, that's good though. So with initiative and looking for not just what's a problem, but how do you find the solutions, how do you balance that in a management kind of role or leadership role with also then delegation so you're not like working yourself to death? Okay, back up. I want, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So you, ask the question one more time. So with initiative, you mm -hmm. were talking about, you know, look for a problem, but then look for the solution, create the solution, you know, let your manager mm -hmm. know later and so on. If you are a manager and have people, you found problems and you think you have a solution, how do you, how do you balance like you doing the work to create the solution happening versus, you know, delegating your work so that you don't also burn out or, yeah. you know, work a thousand hours? And I think this depends, and I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys too. I, I think this depends on the culture of your organization because some organizations... Uh, they are going to lean heavily upon, hey, it's the responsibility of the supervisor or the department head or whatever to solve this. Some are going to lean more toward, hey, we push, we push, that, we push responsibility down the flow chart. Uh, and so it depends on your organization. But I think that's, there's probably not a hard and fast rule to that, in my opinion. It would probably, I would probably play it by ear and go, hey, this is a crisis that is big enough, that is important, but it's small enough they can handle it, and I don't need to give my full attention to it. I need to, I'm still responsible, so I need to be engaged, but I'm gonna give them the responsibility, I'm gonna empower them to do, you know. So I think you'd have to play that by ear. I don't know if that's, that's a terrible answer. It's a non-answer answer, there you go. I should be in politics, that would be great. It depends on what is, is, I think. So does anybody wanna give feedback to that question? Yeah, Todd? I mean, I think it depends on the nature of the problem, right? So if it's something that is just a one-time issue that you can address mm -hmm. and it's done, and then, it, then, then you just take the time and the energy to do it. If it's something that you've identified that you know is going to be an ongoing thing, and in order for you to do the other things that your job entails, you're not gonna be able to consistently give time and energy to it, then I think that you have to make the space to train someone or empower someone to do that and then hand it off. Uh, it, you know, what you can't do is just ignore it, uh, but you don't have to take perpetual ownership of it. So I wanna make sure I understand with your answer, were you talking about a recurring issue, like a recurring problem? Is that what you were talking about, Todd? Okay. Well, and so, because my first response was to push back and go, ah, because I think if it was a systemic issue, so to me, if it's systemic and recurring might be different things. If it's just a recurring issue that we can't fix the problem, so we put Band-Aids on it constantly, that's, I would agree with you. But if it's a, a system issue where it's like, hey, something fundamentally needs to change within our culture, organization, whatever it is, that's where I would say, the, I would say, I would take responsibility as the supervisor because leaders, fundamentally the difference between managers and leaders are, um, managers are responsible for navigating complex co complexity, whether it's a big organization, whatever, they give roadmaps to that, systems to that. Uh, but leaders are agents of change. And so like in, in situations like that, that's where I would push back if it was a system issue where it's like, okay, we got an issue with our organization. That's where the leader has to step in and go, okay, I cannot delegate this, but I would agree if it's a, just a recurring issue where you go, okay, we have this problem again. Can you, you know, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't mean to make that more complex than I needed to. So I, I have a fight for a second, but we're good. Yeah, Linda. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Come on. I think that um, some systemic issues are best solved by employees. Yeah. Um, like, for example, 
No, the, I think the solutions come from people at the ground level a lot of times because the people at the upper levels just don't see it. But I think if there's not buy-in from the upper level, if the upper level isn't saying, hey, we need to, does that make sense? Say that again, please. So I think the solutions do come from the ground level many times because the people who are further up the flow chart, they don't see like, oh, hey, our point of sale is clunky. So that's why we have so few items per transaction at this grocery store because they're in the C-suite and they don't see that stuff. But the teller is the one who's scanning the items and they're having the issues. So they have the, the solutions but none of those solutions can be implemented unless people further up the flow chart go, hey, we need to do this. Like, this makes sense for our team, for our people, for our organization. So I didn't, I, I totally interrupted you and hijacked you. Well, that's answer. okay. So go ahead, the, the example I was thinking of was an organization that has a real, a, an obvious and serious problem. It doesn't mm -hmm. even have to be serious with systemic racism. Mm-hmm. And re that really needs to be attended to. That may not necessarily be the strength of the boss, of mm -hmm. the CEO, of the supervisor, but it might be the burning passion of a staff member mm -hmm. who really is trained and, and has their act together when it comes to anti-racism training, for mm -hmm. example. Yeah. And so once, the, once you can convince the supervisor or the owner or whomever of that problem than to turn it over to that person. I mean, that's a pretty big problem within an organization. I mean, it, 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 it's not an easy one to solve. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think we're talking about the same thing. Okay. I think the solutions can come from lower on the flow, flow chart. And I think healthy organizations understand um, that um, the further down they can push they can push decision-making on the flowchart the healthier overall their organization's gonna be. Because the least healthy organizations are the one where all the decisions have to be made at the top. Uh, because then everything's stifled. Growth is stifled. Development is stifled. Everything gets stifled in that way. So I think we're talking about the same thing. So yeah, that makes sense. That's good. I have a hard question, I think. So it's a good thing you're warmed up. Um, you had mentioned that you should do the best you can at the at your hired position. You should do as uh -huh. good of a job as you can. So what would you do in a situation where, for instance, like what if Tom Brady really just wanted to be a wide receiver? Um, it seems to me he'd have two problems. One, the problem of him not being a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And two, the fact of who he is as a quarterback causing hesitation in other people from trying to get that job. Yeah. So what would you say to a person who's in that situation in, at their organization? So they're, they were hired to do one thing, but they have a deep, dirt burning desire to do something else. Yeah, plus they're really good at the thing that they... Well, in, in your example, Tom Brady excelled, maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, and in that case, if he wanted to be a wide receiver, I think I would probably give him a shot and say, all right, let's, let's see. And if my... Uh, if my presupposition about how he would perform played out, then I wouldn't have to be the one to tell him, you don't need to be a wide receiver. He would figure it out. The market would, the market would work that out. Um, and so if I had a really high performer in an area that wanted to do something else, if we, if we had somebody who wanted to preach on our team and I knew for sure, man, they're a terrible communicator. Um, I, I wouldn't platform them on a weekend, but I might give them some opportunities and let them see how they do and see how they feel. And if they can identify, you know what, it didn't go as well as I would like, then that's, that makes it real easy. But if they're terrible and they don't recognize they're terrible, then I'm gonna have to tell them like, well, we can't, we can't do that. And that's hard, but I think I would still give them a shot because um, I feel like when it comes to our team, I've got a pretty good eye for talent, but I'm not perfect. I miss, I've missed some people. I've missed some good people that should have been on our team and I've hired some bad people that should have been on our team. And so I think, yeah, give them a shot. If they've, if they've killed it and done what I said earlier, then okay, I'll give them a shot. And if it doesn't work out, well, that's okay. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I guess from a manager's perspective, what is the, like, what's your rationale for the long-term in that perspective? Like, how do you get over the loss, the short-term loss of not having them in that role if you're a manager? 
Um, if they've really done their job well, they're probably raising people up behind them. They're probably developing people that maybe they're not as, if they have somebody behind them that can do their job 60% as good as them, then yeah, we're going to feel the loss, but we'll, we'll be okay. And, um, and I'm okay with that. And again, that, that's the difference between, so like our organization, I put more emphasis on the person than the job they're doing. And if I didn't, if I did that the opposite way, I would never, ever let somebody leave. I would say, if you can have a different job, but you're going to have to go to another organization because you're too valuable at this. I need you in this role. But if I'm caring more about them than I do the value they bring to the organization, then I'm going to go, okay, if you feel like that God's put that in your heart, you have a desire to do that, let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, all right, we'll figure it out. That, I think those cultures dictate the difference a little bit. That wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Tom, except it was Tom Brady. If you'd have done Ben Roethlisberger, that would have been better. Know your audience, Michael. Come on now. Um, hey, it's eight o'clock, so I don't want to keep you guys any longer. If you're here in the room and you'd like to stick around and talk some, I would really encourage you. There are some great leaders in this room right now. Um, if you heard somebody talking that you'd like to connect with, hey, go say hi, go meet them, connect with them. Maybe they go to a different service than you or a different location than you and exchange numbers, talk with them. And uh, it's a great way to grow your leadership as well. So let me pray and we'll be dismissed. God, thanks for this evening. Thanks for the folks that are here and watching online and listening to this later. I just pray your blessing on us as we leave. I pray that you would grow us as leaders. I pray that you would grow us as, as people, help us to lead better, um, help us to, to grow in our skill sets, both within our, um, our, our technical skill set, but then our interpersonal skill set as well. Help us to be the people you've called us to be so we can impact others around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, God bless you. Thanks for joining us tonight.